0: This course enables you to leverage those insights to inform your own organization's strategy. Learn more and apply at the HBS online website or at hbs.me slash business and climate change. Now onto Climate Rising. Hi, Climate Rising listeners. The following interview was recorded remotely using an online recording service. Unfortunately, we ran into some difficulties with our internet connection. So some of the conversation didn't come through as clearly as we'd hoped. If you're experiencing any trouble with the audio, we recommend following along with the transcript that's available at the climaterising.org episode page. We appreciate your understanding. And now, on with the show. This is Climate Rising, a podcast from Harvard Business School, and I'm your host, Mike Toffel, a professor here at HBS. A lot of companies we've interviewed have talked about setting science-based climate targets, but what does that mean? In today's episode, I'm talking with Alberto carrillo Pineda, chief technical officer and co-founder of the Science-Based Targets Initiative, to better understand how SBTs work and how companies are using them. We'll also discuss how corporate climate targets and ambitions are evolving and what role SBTI is playing in that movement. Here's my interview with Alberto carrillo Pineda from the Science-Based Targets Initiative. Alberto, thank you so much for joining us here on Climate Rising. Very happy to be here. Why don't we start with an introduction? What's your role at the Science Based Targets Initiative and how did you get there? My role is Chief Technical Officer. And that means that uh, I'm
1: in charge of the development and the evolution of our framework, which is what is used by companies to set climate targets and what is used by our auditors to assess the ambition and the performance of corporate climate targets. And I'm one of the co-founders of the Science-Based Targets Initiative. We started working together almost 10 years ago with the idea of creating a benchmark to raise ambition in corporate climate targets, I
0: Many companies are declaring targets that commit themselves to reductions of X percent of greenhouse gas emissions by some date, or to a net zero target by some date. And others are pursuing science-based targets. What is science about it? Climate target setting, either in the form of emission reduction targets or natural
1: targets, climate and targets, this creates a lot of confusion, a lot of inconsistency, and ultimately different, different outcomes in terms of what the target entails and the impact. And so, acknowledging this, what we do in the Science with Target Initiative is to set clear benchmarks and clear standards to ensure the ambition and the integrity in climate target setting by companies and financial institutions. One of the core features of how we do this is by using science. And by that, we mean emission reduction pathways or mitigation pathways are produced by climate scientists, by models, to inform the level of reduction that is consistent with the climate goals that we have at the global level. For instance, one warming to 1.5 degrees. Which is a common goal has been formalized through the Paris Agreement. There are other aspects that we also assess as part of the target setting process for companies, including, for instance, making sure that targets include all the relevant activities and all the relevant emission sources within the operations and the value chain of a company. We make sure that targets are expressed in terms that actually convey to absolute reductions. And we also make sure that targets use a robust baseline. Of course, the baseline is critical to determine the mission of the target. And also the targets are expressed in a time frame to reach action, as opposed to
0: targets that just basically delay action to the future. Okay, great. So let's talk through these one by one. So the first item you mentioned was mitigation pathways to achieve or to limit warming to a 1.5 degrees target, that's the Paris Accord agreement's goal, agreed by many countries around the world. How do you translate that global ambition into a company target? So I imagine you can go through a sector analysis, a country analysis, and then a company analysis. How, how does that all fit together, where you go from the global target target of limiting warming to 1.5 degrees to a company's own target. We
1: need to figure out the way to continue to provide the goods and services that our economy and our population need without causing accumulation of greenhouse gas gases in the atmosphere. And this is what we call nephew emissions in climate terms, right? Now, because we're talking about basically the activities of very different nature, including energy production, material production, transport, etc. The end goal is the same for all these different activities, but the journey is different. And the type of transformation that needs to happen is different. And what climate scenarios and uh, and climate models help us understand, help us understand is what is the, the pattern of transformation and the pace of transformation that is needed across different systems and the contrast of the economy. How fast, for instance, we need to decarbonize our food production systems versus how fast we need to decarbonize our energy production systems or our transport systems, and then it can help us derive metrics that can be used. So this is the second key element, which is deriving benchmarks that are useful to assess transformation at the sectoral level. And then the third element is how we translate these benchmarks from the sectoral level to the entity level, right? And that's where we use allocation methods. And so an example of an allocation method is, let's take one entity, and this entity may have different activities as part of their business model, right? They may be a conglomerate that is involved in the production of energy, in the production of materials, and so the, the mix of activities in the business model is different from entity to entity. And finally, there's also elements related to the performance of the entity today. We have, for instance, power producers are already at producing most or all of their electricity from renewable sources. And of course, the level of decarbonization that they need to achieve is different compared to a power producer that today is producing most of their energy or all of their energy from fossil sources.
0: Let me see if I got that right. So you go from this global target of 1.5 degrees Celsius you say, let's allocate that across the different sectors, food, energy, transportation, et cetera, to set a distinctive pace of decarbonization. So how quickly is each sector need to decline in their carbon intensity? And I'll come back to that in just a second. And then you have these sectors that you then allocate to entities or companies based on their sector mix, their country location and the economic growth of those countries and the company's own performance down a their already uh, efforts they've made so far to achieve decarbonization, how intense they are and where they are on their own journey. Is that about right? That's a great
1: summary. And maybe something that I would like to add to that is we don't do this by ourselves and with target initiative. The climate models are produced by climate scientists, part of intergovernmental Panel climate change. Then we have part of the climate modelers that create mitigation pathways. And so, for instance, one of the most used pathways are the ones that are created by the International Energy Agency. We also have entities that create pathways at sectoral level, and those are consistent with the global carbon budget that is defined by scientists that are modeling our our climate system, and so we rely on all this information that is generated by different parts of the ecosystem, including scientists, modelers, et cetera, and uh, we translate these and integrate these for the development of standards. And so what we do as SBTI, we take this, this, this body of information that exists in the weather ecosystem to develop standards that can be used to set targets and to assess ambition and performance again. those those standards.
0: Great. So if I were thinking about how do I translate into sector benchmarks from this global ambition, and you're saying we rely on these climate models and mitigation pathways by various entities, what are the top factors that they're considering that might have one pathway for one industry and a different pathway for another? And I can imagine availability of technology might come into play, the marginal cost of abatement might come into play. Are those some of the major factors? And what else am I missing?
1: The most widely used models what they consider is the cost of abatement uh, of different measures in different sectors. Availability of technologies of technologies are already mature enough. So, and yes, we need to ensure that these emissions uh, emission trajectories are feasible. And then structural factors about the sector. For instance, there are sectors that are expected Experience significant growth because the growth of the sector is linked to population growth or economic growth. And there are other sectors where uh, these factors are less relevant. So, while the level of reduction may be different between, for instance, the aviation sector and the power sector,
0: the level of effort is comparable, while seeing these differences bring in, in abatement costs. Let's talk about the second factor you mentioned, which was to include all relevant sources are included in the targets. And by that, I imagine you mean not just the Scope 1 on-site emissions and the Scope 2 emissions associated with purchased electricity, but also some key Scope 3 issues, whether they're upstream or downstream. Upstream meaning supply chain, downstream meaning the use and distribution of the product. How how does science-based targets define relevant? That was, I think, the key word you used. In general, we make a distinction
1: between what is usually known as operational emissions, and so these are emissions that are under direct control of the targeted entity. And so this includes, for instance, emissions related to the operations and assets that the company owns, controls. Uh, and then also we consider indirect emissions, which are usually emissions that are influenced or enabled by the company, but that are occurring in assets that are not controlled by the company. An example of indirect emissions are brains and um, the use of electricity. Some companies generate the electricity that they they use, but most companies, they source electricity from the grid or from a power uh, producer. And so those are emissions that are definitely enabled to a certain extent by the company, but there are operating in ashes that are not owned or controlled by the company. And so based on this, basically, we have set requirements for those emissions that are under control of the company's components emissions, and then for indirect emissions, we have uh, materiality thresholds, and if most emissions are happening already within scope 1 and scope 2, then we don't require companies to set also scope 2 targets, but when scope 3 indirect emissions are relevant, then companies need to set scope 2 targets, and those targets need to also include most of the emission sources in the value chain. And as you said, in some cases, we are talking about emissions that are happening upstream related to the, the procurement of uh, materials. And in some cases, these emissions are basically happening at the product use space, right? For instance, the use of uh, vehicles or the combustion of fossil fuels. This will lead to different targets at the entity level, but they are based on
0: common principles Absolute reductions was the third. Now, I imagine here you're distinguishing absolute reductions from intensity targets. Intensity targets being, well, we're going to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions per unit sold or per revenue dollar, for example. And absolute targets are, well, no, we're going to reduce them by X tons. Absolutely, regardless of growth. And you're leaning into the absolute types of targets for science-based targets. Can you explain why that is? We use a combination of metrics for different types of targets. As an
1: organization, our role is to incentivize environmental outcomes, right? And in this case, the key environmental outcome that we are focusing on is reduction of greenhouse gas emissions at a pace that is consistent with conserving our carbon budget and limiting warming 1% degrees for some of the most carbon intensive activities, like for instance power generation or cement production. We also use physical intensity metrics that help us understand what is the level of performance and the level of decarbonization that is compatible with this global carbon budget for that specific agility. And then there's also transformation targets. One way to catalyze transformation for companies in their supply chain is by aligning their procurement practices and by using their procurement powers to then drive transformation in their supply chain and to incentivize their suppliers to also decarbonize at a pace that is consistent with our global goals, And so we also have these type of targets that are more action-oriented. And they are ultimately leading to the same outcome, which is decarbonization, but that basically
0: are more appropriate for that type of activity that is covered. Got it. So can you just help make those different types of targets a little more concrete by just giving a hypothetical example of one each of those types of targets?
1: Let me talk first about an impact target. So this would be, for instance, Company X commits to reduce their operational emissions, open and scope 2, by 50% by 2030. right? So it's very clear the impact that is expected and the outcome of the, the target. Now, uh, an example of an intensity target would be Company X is committed to reduce the intensity of cement production by... 30% by 2030, right? So that is linked already to a specific activity. We also have, for instance, targets where companies commit to source 100% of their electricity needs from renewable sources. That's an action target that first has the same impact, which is decarbonization of our sources. And then we have these transformation targets. And so an example of this is company X commit to procure X percent of their, of their procurement from entities that are decarbonizing, and this also relevant, for instance, for a financial institutions that also normally set targets to incentivize entities in their portfolio to decarbonize, and, and so the outcome eventually can also be translated into emission reductions. But given that the direct link between the activity and the outcome is about incentivizing or transforming entities in a portfolio where a breaking, then the entities train around that activity as opposed to the final outcome.
0: Okay, great. That's super helpful to get some concrete examples. <music> the last two that you mentioned um, of the initial five uh, areas were robust baselines and time frame. And why don't we talk about those together since they're both about timing? What does it mean to have a robust baseline and a an adequate time frame?
1: They are interlinked, as you mentioned. But there's also uh, an additional aspect related to baseline, which is we incentivize companies to set targets based on a representative base year, which means, for instance, when we started. A lot of companies, especially Erling Ubers, had targets that were, for instance, linked to baseline in 1990, right? That was the the year that was used in the the Kyoto Protocol press. course, the reality of those companies in 1990 is very different to the reality of companies today, right? And so we try to use the most recent and most representative base year to ensure that the baseline can actually be used to assess progress work. And then the second element that we consider when assessing baselines is to make sure, so that the base year is also robust. That, for instance, companies don't use a base year that is an abnormally because you know there were higher emissions in that year or lower emissions in that year. For when we had when we were at the peak of the COVID, there was a slowdown at the global level, and and that basically brought down emissions to the perfect level. So. That year is not representative, uh, or you know, if a company underwent, for instance, a merger or a, a major acquisition last year, then the emission inventory that they had three years ago is no longer representative because the structure of the company is different, right? And then, of course, the other element that is important here is to make sure that the inventory of emissions that companies just set the target is also as cost and credible that basically all the material sources of emissions that we talked about are included in the base here, the baseline, and so this is the other element that we assess. And then in terms of time frame, there are two aspects very important to mention. The first one is the transformation and the transition that we are talking about, which lets you emissions, is a long-term goal. It's something that we need accomplished by 2050 at the latest. It is not something that can be accomplished overnight. And so it's critical that targets that companies set are consistent with this long term goal. But in order to basically contain emissions, we to incentivize action in the short term. And so, for instance, these climate models that we talked about, they normally consider that emissions need to be reduced by around 45% by 2030 compared to emissions that we had in 2019 in order to have the chances of one 1.5 degrees. And so that means that we cannot wait until 2035 or 2040 to start taking action. We take action today so that by 2030, emissions are already half of what we had a few And so this is another of the elements that we include in our criteria. And uh, and most of the targets that companies set with the SBTI are, for instance, spread around 2030.
0: Got it. And so for that 2030, do they also have to meet intermediate goals between now and 2030, or do you not get that much into their details?
1: We, we conducted a year a progress assessment that we communicate to our knowledge report. But as initiative, we are transforming mm-hmm. and also evolving our model from an initiative that was focused on ambition. That was the main goal of SBTI when we started, was handbag that basically will assess not only ambition, but also progress and performance. And so this this will lead to the development of criteria and assessment of performance and progress throughout the entire target checking site. So this is something that is part of the evolution of SDPI
0: and our transformation from an initiative. Got it. So one of the elements of achieving a net zero target is the use of offsets, because I think even the most ambitious and optimistic views of decarbonization suspect that getting all the carbon out of your, through direct reductions in your operations and in your supply chain, at the final, those last X percent are going to be enormously expensive relative to the ability of other sectors to do it. And so that creates the arbitrage opportunity of an offset. Yet there's lots of concerns about the robustness of offsets, everything from the permanence and the additionality and the trading terms, double counting, overestimation, and so on. So while appealing, there's also a lot of cautionary notes around offsets. Where does the science-based target's standard come out with offsets? Do they not allow them? Do they allow them to some extent? Do they have restrictions on the types of offsets? Or is that something you're leaving to the companies to decide? The first point
1: that I want to mention is objects are normally used in a very broad sense or have a type of point of view but we need to basically bring down emissions to zero or close to zero. So from a scientific point of view, what we're talking about, more than obviously is about the removal of carbon from the atoms. And so the SBT Energy Standard considers that basically most activities need to be fully decarbonized. But we also acknowledge that some activities will have what is called residual emissions. And those residual emissions need to be counterbalanced with the removal of carbon from the atmosphere to prevent accumulation of emissions in the atmosphere on a net level. The second use of offsets, which is emission reduction projects that are typically financed by companies or other stakeholders, for instance, consumers, through the purchase of carbon green. With and I would say our position around uh, the purchasing carbon credits so is supports the carbonization beyond the value chain
0: of a company in addition to what they need to do to reduce their own emissions. So if a company has a science-based target of 40% absolute reduction, they would be required in order to meet that to actually take it out of their own value chain and not count as carbon credits from other value chains that they might purchase towards, say, half that. So they can't do 20% of their own and then another 20% by buying carbon credits unrelated to their value chain. Is that correct?
1: That's correct. The targets the company set and that we assess are abatement targets of the activities that happen within the value chain of a company. Got it. And so if the intervention is happening outside of the value chain of the company, it's something that we encourage we recommend.
0: But that is not actually More the carbon emissions need to happen within the in a company. Okay, great, super helpful. All right, so let me step up and ask a few questions about the at the organizational level because we've been talking about the the technical aspects of the standard. When companies approach science based target initiative and say we are interested in uh setting a target, and they submit some documents to you and and you discuss them with them, and then a target emerges. Is that, are they setting their own target and then you're approving it? Or are they saying, here's our, a bunch of data, what is our target that's going to be blessed by the Science-Based Target Initiative? How does that process unfold?
1: We set standards for climate target setting, and these standards basically summarize the requirements for entities, which cost about, you know, to ensure the target is ambitious, that it covers the most material sources of information, that it's action in the short term, et cetera. And then we also assess conformance against this standard. We don't provide advisory services or consulting services companies. In our engagement, we can engage assess the ambition of their targets or the integrity of their targets using the standards that uh, they developed following our strict process.
0: So the company reviews the standard, they develop their own target based on their best understanding of the standard, then they submit it for your assessment to see whether they in fact conformed with the standard. And if so, then you give it your seal of approval. And then they call it a certified science-based target or an accredited. How does does that work?
1: We, We call it a validated target. Normally, I would say companies work with consulting firms that help them model their targets, but also that help them understand how to implement those targets, create an action plan. While they are confident about the target and their ability to deliver their target, then they present the targets from validation to NPI. We have target validation protocols that basically specify how we assess targets, and all of these documents are public. And then we receive information from the entity itself that helps us estimates conformance of the target posed by the company against the standards set by SBTI. So how many organizations have a validated target? So we have uh, 2,800 companies with validated targets, and we have around 5,300 companies in total, causing those that have already the targets validated, and those are in the process of developing your targets or having the targets assessed.
0: Wow. So you're almost going to double the number of entities that have validated targets from nearly 3,000 to nearly 5,500. That's
1: great because initiatives of that testament of this transformation that is happening in the economy, but also it is insufficient compared to the level of transformation that we need to to really meet the global climate goals.
0: Do you have a sense from organizations when they set a target whether they know how they're going to get there? They do some analysis, they think, huh? is it feasible for us to achieve this science-based target? Okay, it is. Now let's go declare it. Or are they doing this more as like a moonshot where they say, let's set this target. We could know where to start, but we really don't know how we're going to do it, but we'll figure it out in the ensuing years. Do you have a sense of where the majority of these thousands of companies that are setting science-based targets lie in that continuum?
1: It depends on many factors, including how risk-averse companies are, the sectors where they operate, the jurisdictions where they operate. In the early days of SBTI, we had most companies being very brave about embracing this ambition that no one knew how to get there. We didn't have the the level of, um, for instance, development, and technologies and um, investment support um, that we have today. That's been the case in some jurisdictions and in some sectors. In other cases, we have entities that are shifting targets because they are already seeing, you know, very, very imminent regulations happening in the jurisdictions where they operate, because they have pressure from their shareholders,
0: because they have pressure from their clients, their customers. Let's talk about the future. What's next for SBTI? What areas are you expanding into? What Reviews are you doing based on your current standards?
1: Well, I would say the most important, uh, the most exciting transformation for SBTI is this transition from an initiative towards a standard. We started as an initiative, powered and supported by the different NGOs and organizations working on the climate space. We, we became the facto standard by the level of adoption in, in the market. And now we're in the process of transforming our role from a de facto standard to a formal standard. And this brings out to a lot of strengthening in the model and the governance of the AI, formalization of perspective of our technical governance, formalization of our standard setting procedures. This transition that I talked about, avoiding questions from driving ambition in target setting, to enable ambition, but also progress and performance.
0: And as you become a standard setting organization, will you continue to do both the standard setting and the assessment? Or is that something that will split off, as often occurs in some organizations, as they mature, they they separate the assessment from the development of the standards.
1: Well, this is something that we are exploring as part of these transformations. Our ambition is is to operate as a establishment organization that basically conforms to best practice for national certification bodies. We are exploring what is the best models for the BPI, but definitely this this, this ambition of
0: um, Operating now with best practice for establishing organizations. So, final question that we tend to ask our guests is for some advice. Uh, some of our listeners are considering careers in business and climate change, or might already have careers, but are looking for other opportunities. Where do you see the opportunities arising? And what advice do you have for folks who ask you about this?
1: Well, my first advice on this would be this is, this is the most important transformation that our economy will go through in the next three decades. We are talking about a transformation in every sector, every activity of the economy. So we need all types of skills to support the transformation. Because of the pace at which the transition is happening, especially in the past two or three years, we observe a scarcity of professionals that are experienced in sustainability and climate change. So I think there are very interesting Career opportunities for people that decide to pursue this path. And and I would say it's also, of course, a career choice that not only brings opportunities, it also brings fulfillment. And so I would definitely encourage everyone that is interested in this topic to join this movement because we need all all hands in deck.
0: Great. Well, that's certainly inspiring words from you, Alberto, to close on. Well, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your journey and a lot of interesting details about the Science-Based Targets and the Science-Based Targets Initiative. It's been a real pleasure talking with you. Thanks to you, Mike. It has
1: been a pleasure for me, and I look forward to future conversation.
0: That was my conversation with Alberto carrillo Pineda, Chief Technical Officer and co-founder of the Science-Based Targets Initiative. Thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts share with your friends, and don't forget to rate and review. For show notes, head over to climaterising.org or click on the link in the podcast information. You've been listening to Climate Rising. I'm your host, Mike Toffel. Kate Zerenner is our producer, and Craig McDonald is our audio engineer. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode of Climate Rising. See you then.